Step right up, it's nailed. A halo by halo journey through the music <laughs> of Nine Inch Nails. I'm Blake. I'm Jessica. And we're here to finally wrap up Halo 14, The Fragile. Oh my God, it only took like 900 episodes. <sighs> I think we started, well, we started in the summer. August, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we started the era in like June or July. July. We took our time. So we talked about all the songs. But now we just got to talk about final thoughts. And we have to actually give this thing a rating in inches. Mm-hmm. Probably do that at the end. But we have some other more general talking points, don't we? Yeah, just some stuff we can talk about, get our dumb thoughts on. <laughs> I got some questions for us. <laughs> but what do you have? Well, okay. First of all, let's talk about the format, I guess, of The Fragile. It is a double album. Whatever that means. And Reznor has said that he kind of, looking back, thinks that he should have maybe released it in two separate records. Um, I'll go ahead and read this to you. Okay. So this is from the New York Times, uh, January 7th of 2011. And Reznor said, The Fragile is weird because when it came out, it felt like everyone hated it to me. And now it feels like it's everyone's favorite album, fan-wise. I think in hindsight, I should have had two single records, Radiohead style with Kid A and Amnesiac, recorded at once, broken into two digestible chunks. Hey, it is what it is. So I don't really agree with him. I don't either. (laughs) He said it's everyone's favorite, as he says, with not everyone's, but a lot of people's favorite. It's my favorite. That's not going to be helped by splitting it into two records. The Fragile by itself is more important to me than... Kid A and Amnesiac, even though I do like both those records. I don't think it it would be helped by being split up, but I'd wonder how it would be split up. Like, what would be on the first one? What would be on the second one? Yeah. Would there be totally different tracks than what we have now? Yeah. Because... Would there be an instrumental one and a one with lyrics? You could do that. Yeah. When we ask people to cut down the fragile to a single... 12 song disc on the bonus episode a lot of people just removed all the instrumentals uh, to start with that's probably what like 18 year old me would have done except for la mer i've always loved loved it i was a big fan of the instrumentals from the beginning they really drew me in when i was a teenager i could give a shit about instrumentals i'm just gonna tell you that now i was i was an instrumental kid yeah but as i was listening just now I said to myself, the best way to enjoy this is not, the most enjoyable way is not how we did it on the podcast. That is to say, not to split it up. And of course, we went kind of song by song in slow and painful fashion. But the best way to enjoy this is taking it in all at once. That's what she said. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I really, really opened myself up for that one. (laughs) That's what she said also. Um. Enjoying the whole thing top to bottom. (laughs) Damn it. Everything I say sounds dirty. All together as one listening experience Mm -hmm. while you're enjoying a Trentini. I mean. Or a mock Trentini, if that's not your thing. But the way it's been sequenced here by Bob Bezrin, I like. And I, I, I just think it works 
I enjoy it more taking it all in like that. I was enjoying myself more. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. Like if I'm driving around or something to be listening to the fragile and having to start and stop and start and stop yep. or to not complete the album in one sitting. Yeah. It feels really weird to me. It doesn't feel right. So. Yeah. Even, a, even just ending on the left side, you want to get that right side in too. Yeah. So before we move on, I posted in our discord, like what are some things we should talk about? For our fragile wrap up, and some of them I'll save just for like a fragile era wrap up because I think they'll work better there. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone suggested, and I believe it was our intern discussing the death of the double album. Yeah. Uh, do you think the double album is dead? I think it's changed, but not mm-hmm. dead. And I can get into that. What I mean by that? Yeah. So it's definitely not like the heyday of the seventies, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> It's not the 70s anymore, if that's what you're asking. Well, I think... It's not the wall. I think that the double album has changed depending on the format that people listen to records. For example, you couldn't fit as much on a vinyl as you can on a CD. Yeah, it's all about the format. Exactly. So whenever CDs were introduced and became the format, then Mm -hmm. people could put more on a CD. And it wasn't really a double album anymore. Right. People would fill 75 minutes Mm -hmm. with filler and skits and whatever the hell else and call it a single album when that was not possible on vinyl. Exactly. Without splitting it into two discs. That The double album was created by we have too much material to fit on a 12-inch. Yeah. So even Johnny Marr, I was reading an article about the resurgence of the double album, and we'll talk about that too. Um, Johnny Marr was like, there were so many CDs that were just filler, like just had so much filler because you could, you could fill it, you know, with a lot of stuff. But I don't think the double album stead is just different. We're streaming now. We're in a streaming era, but vinyl has made a resurgence. And because of that, we're seeing more double albums. And you could argue it's because of the time or uh, just greedy record companies wanting to charge more. Um, by now, what when you say that, are, do you mean what used to be called a single album will be spread across two discs? Sometimes. Yeah, that and that's happening. I think I mean, it's happening too much. sometimes it is for sound purposes, right? Because... Yeah, to some extent. To some extent. Because it sounds better to um, have the grooves further apart exactly. than to squish them in. Exactly. So there are maybe some obsessive musicians who want that sound. Um, to be perfect, and so you get double disc editions yeah. of albums, which doesn't necessarily that, mean it's a double album, but... I would not call it a double album at all. I would call it, yeah, it's a single album spread across two discs. Sometimes it's for greed. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, co- collector purposes, which mm-hmm. I fall into, this, we both fall into this trap all the time. Obviously, we are collectors, but, you know, they're, uh, they are laughing all the way to the bank. <laughs> Yeah, but there are some, I mean, this year alone, or actually not this year, because we're only a month into the year, sorry. So in 2022 <laughs> alone, yeah. uh, Big Thief, their album, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You, which I own, that was a double album. And it is definitely a double album because of length. It's not just something yeah. that they split up on two records. Yeah. Um, Kendrick Lamar's Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It's considered a double album, even though it's shorter than To Pimp a Butterfly. Oh, that's really He released weird. it as a double album. And I believe even on Spotify, it's listed as a, hold on. Well, Let that, me pull this up real quick. While you're pulling that up, that goes to 
show that it's more about how the artist wants to present the material to you. Mm-hmm. If they want to present it as, you know, a left, I want you to listen to the left side and then I want you to listen to the right side. That's how I'm packaging it. Now it's all virtual. So the space on a 12 inch piece of um, vinyl is more or less irrelevant. Obviously, when it comes to the streaming world, what does a double album mean anymore? It's just not a lot other than they're choosing to present it to you that way. Well, and in this article, they also pointed out that during the pandemic, a lot of musicians just had more time to record. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 had, had they more couldn't material tour, and so they could work with more material. Um, and also, Wilco's album that they released in 2022, I believe it's called Cruel Country. That is a double album as well. Yeah, we were talking about what's double albums that have been released since The Fragile. Obviously, there are countless. It it never stopped. Okay, let me read what they have written here about. This is from Vulture. Curiously, though, Mr. Morale, which clocks in at 73 minutes, is Lamar's first double album. It's not his longest release. That honor goes to 2015's To Pimp a Butterfly, which is 78 minutes long. That Mr. Morale is packaged as a double album and Butterfly wasn't may be a performative show of ambition, but it reflects the extent to which vinyl has overtaken CDs, both commercially and culturally. Back in 2015, To Pimp a Butterfly fit neatly on one CD. That's still true, of course, but vinyl sales have since outpaced CD sales for the first time since the 1980s. And talking about Spotify, these days, even streaming platforms simulate aspects of the double vinyl experience. Load Mr. Morale on Spotify and the track list is divided into disc one and disc two. Yeah. Yep. The reason some double albums are split like that on Spotify and others, such as Wilco's Cruel Country, aren't is purely dependent on the metadata that the labels submit to the streaming platform. Oh, so if you pull up the Wilco album on Spotify, it's not split in half? No. Yeah, it's a, it's a presentational choice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you were saying, there have been plenty of successful double albums since The Fragile. The first one that came to my mind immediately, because I love it, was Outcast, Speaker Box, and Love Below. Right. And that that one's almost like two solo albums, but... Combined in one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's technically what it is. Yeah, kind of. But I, I treated it sort of like a double album whenever I... I definitely bought that one. Yeah. Um, a lot. So... Arcade Fire's Reflector. I did not like that album, but people did, so whatever. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers released a double album, Stadium Arcadium. Uh, I I don't think I had that. I forgot about that being a double album. (laughs) I don't even remember it. And Elliot Smith's New Moon. Now, that one's kind of weird because it was released posthumously, so Yeah. yeah, it's not necessarily a double album in a traditional sense. But then you also have the like sister albums, right? So, for example, Taylor Swift recorded Folklore, and then five months later, she released Evermore, and they are sister albums. Oscar, Hold on, Oscar Oscar's going really mad nuts. At, Oscar's really mad about Taylor Swift right now. <laughs> He's gone batshit. Yeah, Folklore and Evermore are two, not twins, but sisters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Released one was released like early summer. The other one was released fall same year. Yeah. And to me, one seems like the main record, and one seems like more of a B sides kind of thing. Kind, yeah, I would say one is definitely stronger than right, the other, but they do right. go together at least as far as sounds and thematically. Yeah, exactly. And Guns and Roses did that too, right? Wasn't Use Your, Use Illusion, Your Illusion one and two yeah. released on the same day, but they were separate. So um, I I don't 
I know nothing about that. So <laughs> uh, nobody asked me about Guns N' Roses. Um, but this is not the last Nin double album, technically. Technically, it's not. So Ghosts, like <laughs> we almost forgot about that one when thinking about double albums. But Ghosts came on two CDs. That's how I bought it. But also, you could four records. Well, you could think of it as like four groups of songs, obviously, because it's called Ghosts One Through Four. So, Mm -hmm. four groups of songs chosen to be, he chose to present it to us on two CDs, however you want to, or, you know, a download, a stream. I would say in that case, it's not like the fragile to me. It's, it's the numbering system used with Ghosts means more than the discs to me. If, if the numbers mean anything, <laughs> which I, that's up for debate. Yeah. So I don't know if I really say that the double album is dead. And in fact, I think we'll see more of it. But we also don't have like superstar rock groups like we used to. And that was kind of a rock group thing, I feel like, for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know much about the history. Let me know when Imagine Dragons releases a double album. <laughs> don't say that. They will tomorrow. <laughs> it's not like all like... Not even on my radar, so I have no idea what that I, would sound like. I couldn't name a song. I'm such a lame-o. I'm not cool Did they at all. do Radioactive? Was that them? I think so. I'm not looking it up. Okay. No phones episode. <laughs> I may break that rule. Um, Oscar's going ham, though. Also, I'm annoyed because Terry Beezer from You Discover Music said double albums are also harder to digest in a world that grows more ADHD with every oh, passing year. Offensive. Offensive. I hate the stupid little shortcuts. I'm OCD. I'm ADHD. Uh, don't say it unless you mean it. That's all I'm saying. I mean, speak for yourself, Terry Beezer. But <laughs> as someone who was recently diagnosed with combined ADHD, I listen to The Fragile all the fucking time, and it's like a million minutes long. So. Yeah. <laughs> and the people talk about the short attention span, but... Like, oh, we have to have quibbies and TikToks now because the Zoomer attention span is 20 seconds long. Why then will we all sit down and binge a television show for nine hours in a <laughs> sitting? Like, we still have attention span. It's just that most things are shit and I don't want to yeah, dedicate my time to them. It's Sorry. all about, yeah, it's it's about what we choose to devote our attention to. Um, we We can still be in it for the long haul. Yeah. Anyway, that was all. I just kind of wanted to touch on that. I Personally, I don't think the double album is dead. No. I just think maybe it's, it was kind of rare. But I do think with the resurgence in vinyl, we might see more of it. And some of that could be because of the, you know, the amount of music that a vinyl can hold. So it might just be because of that. But it could also be because, yeah. you know, I don't know. Maybe some artists will have some shit to say. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could see another Nine Inch Nails double album. You know, that's something that could happen. <laughs> it's something that... There's enough material out there, I'm sure, for yeah. several double he albums. He sort of teased... It. Well, he, like on that... What is the uh, Difficult Artist podcast? He was like, yeah, I could... I don't know whether he said he had the material now or could theoretically have enough material for another Fragile-style double album, but he did say that. And it's like, oh, well, that's going to make the fans shit their pants so (laughs) be careful with that but it could happen is all i'm saying do you think though as our old rock vanguard dies and and that the double album will also die with it or do you think it will just be something that changes nothing will die because as people age out and die out 
um, you know, fans are always coming up. Like babies are being born who are being um, cutting their teeth on Nine Inch Nails, even though <laughs> it's a band that. That's because they're Gen Xer parents, or yeah, or millennial saying, parents are raising them on it. Like my sister is raising my nieces; they know all these '80s new wave hits, and yeah. I'm like, "What the hell?" All these ideas keep getting passed down. So, like, I'm too young to have enjoyed the Wall or whatever um, in real time, but I still. But someone who know did enjoy it. the Wall in real time was inspired to yeah. make a record, a double album like the Wall, right? Um. And that person, Trent Reznor. So we're passing the idea of the double album down more so than we are passing the physical object that that used to exist. It exists still, obviously, but in a different way. It's not by... I don't know. I'm always surprised by Zoomers who love like physical media. And I think it's because they never had the experiences that we did. You know what I mean? Like growing up with cassettes and CDs. I think we humans like to hoard things. I think any generation, we're going to love to hoard our shiny little we're objects. All collectors. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> we are all the collector. Mm. I don't think it matters what generation you're in. Yeah. It, that, that stays, that remains. Yeah. Well, I became obsessed with vinyl probably in like 2002 because a friend gave me his record player. Dude, I didn't until w- way later. Yeah, but for me, it was something that was kind of slightly nostalgic, um, but also something that I barely had any interaction with because I remember having a record player as a kid, but I wasn't allowed to touch it. You know, I was little. My mom wouldn't let me. But so there was a little bit of nostalgia in it for me to be able to interact with with records. But there's also just something really beautiful about physical media and putting it on an actual record player and sitting back and listening to it and i kind of fell in love with that even yeah. though things were starting to slowly go digital and if you spend thousands and thousands of dollars and happen to have a good a well-pressed album you can make it sound really good too <laughs> but don't think you're gonna make make vinyl sound good on the cheap uh because yeah that's uh not likely to happen as as I am slowly learning every day, have to spend more and more on this silly hobby. Yeah, but I think there's something like romantic about physical media whenever everything's been replaced by, you know, streaming services or you can just download PDFs and, you know, read those on your e-readers, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I think there's something that's kind of just romantic and nostalgic about owning physical media. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so a few quick questions. Mm-hmm. Did the fragile end the classic rock era? I mean, I'm going back to things we talked about in the beginning of our series. I don't think we have any new information on this. I I still kind of say, sure, you could call it the end of the classic rock era. I don't think Reznor would want to be lumped in with classic rock, though. Do you? Probably not, although classic rock is among his influences, Mm -hmm. whether it be Pink Floyd or um, Joe Walsh. Why do you think that Haydn said that because it's a big experimental proggy double album Mm -hmm. the format is a big part of it Mm -hmm. you know it has guitar solos and stuff (laughs) obviously none that never stopped but it did fall out of fashion in the mainstream but it never stopped sure you could call it that if you want you could also call the end of the classic rock era like i don't know when nirvana dropped never mind (laughs) you could you could point to several points in time but Sergeant when Peppers MTV 
When aired the, its first video, that's when the classic rock era died. When the MTV. Do you, like, for instance, like, uh, this is true, Steve Miller Band, right, had tons and tons of hits mm-hmm. until MTV became a thing and he made music videos. Uh, yeah, and I don't think like, he ever put himself in them, right? Or did he? And then it I was just I like, because you had to, you have to look, be cute. yeah, you have to be hot. You yep. have to be cute. That's why the, the, the cars uh, <laughs> fell out of fashion. Whatever. They had hits in the 80s. I watched those crazy videos. I, I know. They, their videos are, are wild. They always had hot models in them. That's, That's how true. They That's got how you <laughs> distract people from your... Well, the, the cars had like a hot guy in the band, right? But that guy wasn't Rick O'Casek. Yeah. Okay. Did, did the Fragile save rock? We talked about early on how... People said, Trent Reznor, come save rock and roll. And he said, I don't want to save rock. Uh, I don't even like rock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do, Trent. Um, but <laughs> I, I I think what he meant was at that moment, he wasn't liking current rock. Um, but yeah, whether or not people were truly asking him to come save rock, some people maybe were. Did the album save rock? I don't know. Maybe it killed rock. Well, no, because rock just came back in a different form. Whenever Reznor disappeared for five years between the fragile and with teeth well i guess he went on tour so but still a few years there yeah rock changed right we had new york rock <laughs> uh, <laughs> the yes. new york rock scene it just rock will just change it doesn't yeah. matter so if you want rock yeah it's not it's not even in the mainstream anymore i feel like um there's plenty of even it. arctic monkeys aren't making rock albums anymore. yeah they, <laughs> like there was a time when I was like, ooh, Arctic Monkeys, the last uh, great sort of mainstreamish rock band that I enjoy. Or Queens of the Stone Age, kind of. Sure. There, there's, and there's, yeah, underground, there's so much of it still out there, obviously. But what, what rock is being played on the radio? There are rock stations. Uh, don't ask me what's on them, though. Like, it's all alien to me now. Closing thoughts on the fragile Halo 14 as a whole. In the intro episode, I talked about my one masterpiece theory that people put too much pressure on themselves, artists do, and the public puts too much pressure on artists to create uh, great work after great work. And it's my belief that you are not, no artist is guaranteed or owed more than one masterpiece in this lifetime um, or any masterpieces. If you make one, that's, that's amazing. You should not be expected to follow it up with more. Although that seems to be what we expect of people. Anyway, the question I'm getting at is, is the fragile a masterpiece? The more I say the word masterpiece, I don't know what the fuck that means. (laughs) Never mind. But you know kind of what it means, right? Yeah. Is the fragile Trent Reznor's masterpiece? No, that was the downward spiral. Oh. <laughs> Just kidding. He actually has several masterpieces, probably. He And he could yeah, be one of the lucky few who put out more than one. I, I would call, to me, the fragile's a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think the downward spiral would also 
could be called one. You know who didn't think this album was a masterpiece? Mm, is it a pitchfork writer? It's a pitchfork writer. <laughs> I believe that Stephen Hyden referred to this review I'm going to talk about as the like a legendary snarky pinnacle of like snark as far mm. as reviews go um, by Brent. And I don't want to say the last name. I'm going to try. It's by Brent de Crescenzo. I have no idea okay. how to say his name. So I was kind of looking up information on him. From what I can find on uh, Pitchfork's site, it doesn't look like he's written anything for them since like the mid-aughts. Hmm. So he's kind of known for his writing style. And I found a piece written about, it was actually written about his review of Radiohead's Kid A. And that was kind of an important review because it was a Pitchfork 10. And it was one of those reviews that drew people to the site. Okay, they got 10? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Um, and so that became kind of a legendary type review, I guess. Yeah. Um, so in an article, Billboard described his writing as, and they're talking about Kid A specifically. Like many of his reviews, it was extremely long-winded and brazenly unhinged from the journalistic <laughs> form and temperament of the time. And Brent himself says... It sounds weird to say, considering I reviewed music for several years, but I kind of hate record reviews. They are formulaic and rely on oddly canonized vocabulary. Nobody talks like this in real life. So I wanted my reviews to make the reader feel how the record made me feel. If the record made me laugh, I try to make the audience laugh. If the album made me emo, I would go heart on screen. I don't know what heart on screen means. I've never heard that expression. Is it like putting your heart on your sleeve, but that's, instead you're putting yeah, it on the screen? I mean, it's not a real expression. Guess. He's just making it up. Yeah. So I looked up some of his other reviews on the site. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else did he tear apart? Well, he gave Tools Lateralis 1.9. Well, that is uh, very harsh. Um, the Mars Volta, Deloused in the Comatorium. That's a great, great record. 4.9. Come on. He obviously just doesn't like to rock out. That's what I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, this guy probably likes smooth jazz. <laughs> well, we know he likes Kid A at least. Which is a smooth jazz album, so. <laughs> Deloused, four, come on. Yeah, Deloused rules. Um, but he gave Beastie Boys to the Five Burrows, which is a pretty mediocre album, a 7.9. Okay. Morrissey's You Are the Quarry. If he gave it any more than two. 8.9. It was named Best New Music. This is a bad person. This, <laughs> this is beyond just a bad reviewer. I now believe this is a bad person. <laughs> so I thought we could go through the review. Some people have said that they've never read it all because it pissed them off too bad. I haven't. Uh, you I, haven't. I have not read because I don't care to. I don't need to. <laughs> That's your job. Oh, okay. Thank you. I mean, I can read this. This is him, I guess, trying to be funny. I have no idea. Okay. Starts out, 1 o'clock a.m. I've gathered my supplies, and I'm going to sit this one straight through. Trent's going to keep me up for at least another two hours with his latest bloated indulgence, the fragile. Okay. Latest, latest bloated. bloated indulgence. So what was bloated? Exactly. Was the downward spiral bloated? Was broken bloated? Like, what the fuck is this guy even talking about? He could be referring to the downward spiral, uh, which is... I wouldn't call it bloated at all, but I mean, it's not like a tin song. It's not a kid A. <laughs> it's, uh, so it's not a brief affair. Yeah. But already he's he's coming very biased to the table. Obviously, That's the problem. Yes. So I've got a pot of coffee. It's black, pitch black, as black as your fucking soul. And I'm typing on this machine. This machine is grinding me down. I feel like a fucking machine. Grr. 
That's mm. typed out grar. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be funny, it would be better if he was funny. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he's not funny, though, oh, yeah. so it doesn't quite work. Nine o'clock p.m. My first experience with the fragile, as is the case with most new CDs, comes in my Honda. I'm sitting at a red light on Webster and Damon waiting for a left turn. Trent Reznor is screaming, tear a whole exquisite red, fuck the rest and stab it dead, over a troop of industrial guitars and digital whining. I yawn with such stretching intensity that I miss my turn light. Yeah, okay, sure you did. The Hmm. entire situation strikes me as particularly humorous. Here I am, a 24-year-old white guy with floppy bangs, wearing a tie, (laughs) driving a Honda, and all the bile Trent Reznor can must muster up from his supposedly scorched soul makes me yawn. That's a horrible sentence. Hmm. Um, okay. I don't know why he yawned. Like, <laughs> I um, don't believe he missed his left turn signal, though. I don't believe he even has a Honda. <laughs> I, I do believe he I has floppy he bangs, though. He seems like a floppy. Oh, no. You know what? I love floppy hair, and I don't want him to have floppy hair, so never mind. Just the bangs were floppy, though. Okay, that's true. Do you think he had a Chelsea haircut? Where it's just bangs? That would be hilarious if he did. (laughs) Sometime over the last decade, music that is intrinsically meant to be menacing, i.e. Nine Inch Nails, has become a banal syndicated action hour soundtrack. It's easy to imagine the overproduced grind of the wretched blaring through a TV screen as Nightman kicks a henchman off the roof. This stuff could be the score to The Crow 4 in space. Okay. Uh... (laughs) And this time around, Trent has unanimously failed to shock anyone above the age of 15 and under the age of 54. I mean, have you listened to old Judas Priest lately? Now, this is not to say music must be confrontational, although the best of it typically is. However, in a pop society that has become numb to industrial sounds through ESPN2 and Surge commercials, it's no longer interesting or tolerable to base one's entire output on volume and amplified cliches. Okay. Okay. And so, Somewhat Damage continues to pound out its same four notes. Systematically, layers of crust, fuzz, dirt, and whatever else Reznor can scrape off the walls in his studio are piled on top, pounding out the same four-note scale. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Oh, wow. Did he just say fuck? Trent, Holden Caulfield rubbed that out 50 years ago. So you can't say fuck in music? (laughs) You're not allowed to? Uh, The four, (laughs) the chromatic, uh, oh my God. It's just, it's beyond being wrong. It's not even wrong. 8 o'clock p.m. Hello, asks Ryan. Okay, I'm going to read you something I say. Oh, hey, dude. Um, sure. She shines in a world full of ugliness. She matters when everything is meaningless. Oh, man. Sometimes I have everything, yet I wish I felt something. Are these lyrics? Underneath it all, we feel so small, the heavens fall, but still we crawl. Ha ha, what is this? Pleading and needing and bleeding and breeding and feeding exceeding. Rhymey. Now everything is clear. I can erase the fear. I can disappear. Man, what is this? Is this some emo album? I am every fucking thing and just a little more. What was emo to him in 1999? It was very different. (laughs) And when I suck you off, not a drop will go to waste. It's really not so bad, you know, once you get past the taste. Starfuckers. Oh, oh no. It's Nine Inch Nails. (laughs) 1.49 a.m. Even deeper, a track mixed by Dr. Dre spits aluminum riffs into my headphones. The entire concept of pairing Dr. Dre and Nine Inch Nails, a match made in corn boy heaven, uh, or most likely the Interscope Commissary, is laughable. Shuffling beats squirt under Blade Runner booms and fathoms of string samples. The end product sounds entirely similar to the rest of this 104-minute albatross. The token celebrity stroking of this studio marriage is fittingly overwrought, unnecessary, and done with questionable intent. From the sound of it, Trent cares little to broaden his palate from this rap rock union. Without there the, is no... There's no, the, rap. there's no rap. 
It's 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 like he didn't listen to it. Almost nothing says Dr. Dre about this track. Well, he says and, without the liner notes, one would never pick this song as the Dr. Dre track. Well, yeah, and that's but it's that's also not promoted thing. that way. That's a Do you good know what thing. I mean? It's not like it says even deeper featuring, featuring Dr. Dr. Dre. Dre. Like he he's he trying is, to have it both ways and blast it as some sort of rap rock, which it's obviously not. Yeah, which was obviously maligned by critics during this time period and still is. Yeah. Ironically, a man hailed by his legion of testoster drones, okay, cool, as genius, often leans heavily. By the way, he has a ton of female fans, so that pisses me off right there. Especially in the year 1999, I would not call this leading the pack of testosterone music. Often leans heavily on the work of other better sound wizards. Adrian Ballou, Steve Albini, and Alan Mulder conspicuously leave their fingerprints all over the fragile in other words, whenever something sounds cool, it's most likely coming from one of these other men who have worked on such mind-blowing classics like The Talking Heads Remain in Light, Slint Spiderland, and My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, respectively. I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure he heard Albini all over it. <laughs> sounds just like Big Black. The constipated drone of The Day the World Went Away unabashedly attempts to mimic My Bloody Valentine's sculpted cacophony. Unfortunately, from the hands of an unsettled goth, the result is strained fuzz. Mm, okay. 2 o'clock a.m. Trent Reznor is the worst, most predictable, most uninspired lyricist working today. Mm. The freshman gloom spouted throughout the fragile are only making it easier for the goth lyric generators on the web. Copy the word decay from this sentence. Paste it into a Word document. Highlight it. Press Shift F7. Every synonym that appears on your thesaurus screen pops up in Trent Reznor's pitiful poetry. Coming from the mouth of a steadily plumping 30-something recluse. Steadily plumping. Oh, my God. That's what got me. Who, incidentally, is bearing striking resemblance to Phil Hartman's SNL Frankenstein character these days? What the fuck? It's just sad. Does he collect candelabras in Spawn comics? I guarantee it. In the five years it's taken to complete the fragile, Trent seemingly watched Dark City at least 40 times. I would say he watched Videodrome at least 40 times, not Dark City. It's insulting to hear Trent and his PR firm talk up the radical departure and pop flourishes on this record because the record sounds 100% similar to Broken and The Downward Spiral. No, it doesn't, but whatever. No, that's 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 where you're – a lot of this is his opinion. This is just incredibly wrong on its face. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Or, more accurately, it's like combining Broken and The Downward Spiral. Clever. That's not really even a critique. I don't know what he's trying to get at. An artist has combined their previous sounds to make something new. And by the way, uh, Broken and the Downward Spiral are yeah, they're, great, great, yeah, great I don't works. understand like, the, the criticism. 2.45 a.m. The gentle piano plunking of La Mer lulls me to sleep momentarily on its second time around. It's not the gentle ambience of it, though, since this loud sludge could knock out a speed addict. The Fragile is the most taxing record I've ever had to work through in my five years of reviewing CDs. I mean, even the Beatles felt to make a double album without throwing in some filler. Why does Trent Reznor thinking he can succeed? Okay, that's some weird (laughs) typo sentence. Uh I'm actually glad Billy Corgan used up the infinite sadness. Reznor would jump all over a title like that. Hmm? Okay. It's difficult to decide where to even begin trimming the Fragile. Well, our patrons could tell you. (laughs) It's so stunningly monotonous. Any bit of it could be lost without notice. I mean, when the instrumental interludes carry an album, it's a blaring neon sign flashing, stay away. What? Yeah. I pity the kids of the style over substance generation. And yes, it will only be kids who enjoy this album. Kids, high school isn't as bad as it seems. You'll grow out of this phase. Save yourself or your parents the 25 bucks. 
The Fragile's length begins to make sense in this context. 104 minutes is the perfect duration for those post-dinner, pre-X-Files periods of nobody-understands-me bedroom isolation sit-ins. Yeah, maybe, but uh, also we didn't grow out of it, so... Here we go. Here he's going to be an asshole about the artwork now. 3 o'clock a.m. Before getting back into The Fragile, I peruse the liner notes and artwork. David Carson of Raygun fame laid out the artwork for The Fragile. And what a fitting look. Carson, whose design work broke new ground for typography, lost touch years ago. The originator of the 1990s trademark crusty look is analogous to the fat bottom disco fonts of the 70s or the thin sans serif of deco. But guess what? It's almost 2000 and the world needs a new look and a new sound. Carson and Reznor will forever be remembered as 1990s pop figures that helped create an identifiable logo for the decade and little else. Trent, you are flock of seagulls. The fragile embodies everything wrong with this decade. Hype, letdown, technological fetishism, empty rage, financial bloat, bombast, self-loathing, and indifference to anything truly important and interesting flowing underneath the surface. Trent Reznor is Chris Gaines. <laughs> what? Oh my God. 3.20 a.m. Starfuckers. I Inc. can't believe I'm still letting you read this. <laughs> you said that this was not long. I can't believe I'm letting this happen. Keep going. That's pretty much all I have to say in criticism of this album. That sums it right up. Do you or don't you want to own an album with a song called Starfuckers, Inc.? I do. Uh, Sounds yeah, cool to God, me. Yes, I do. <laughs> Besides the snickering potty mouth title, it's one of the most blatantly hypocritical attacks ever put to tape. It's a widely publicized attack on Marilyn Manson. There are several lyrical references to the gangly idiot such as I'm one of the beautiful ones and my god pouts on the cover of a magazine. And how are these jabs delivered? Why, in a song which sounds exactly like Marilyn Manson. No. And also borrows from Carly Simon by a man who pouts on the cover of Rolling Stone, Alternative Press, Spin, etc. In essence, Reznor is Marilyn Manson without the makeup, which is a bit like Kiss without the makeup. Uh, there is makeup involved, sir, so you've got your facts wrong. <laughs> the Fragile is simply music for the elder for the digital age. I take comfort knowing that the passing of another decade will make this record seem as amusingly insincere as 10cc. Don't even know what that is. At this point, I'm angry, hungry, and frustrated. In fact, I feel like... Kind of like Trent Reznor. There's all kinds of typos in this. Is this the grand design? After over two hours of listening to his incessant whining and grating, I become the very model of his audience. Yeah, we're all hungry, angry, and horny, and frustrated. Yeah, that's right. We're humans. <laughs> that's the end of the oh, review, God. I believe. Okay. Can't believe I let you read all that. Mm -hmm. People are going to get mad mm -hmm. to even listen. Sorry. Um, I guess it's, it's to counteract our... Hours on hours of kind of... Uh, of fawning over yes, the album? exactly. Here's the thing. It would be different if he had an actual real perspective on the album and wasn't just being an asshole. Yeah, here's the thing. There are albums and artists and music that I really don't like, even that I hate. But to go to this length... It's almost like you have a personal vendetta against the person. Yeah, but it's someone you don't know. And he like, insults his looks. What did he, he look? What did he do to you? Who who hurt you? This is like reading therapy. Honestly, I bet he was a huge fan of the Downward Spiral and then discovered like indie rock or something and tried to dismiss stuff like that as dumb. But it's like he's doing therapy with himself. On the on the like maybe page he's here. a former goth or something and maybe. he's embarrassed by it and it's so I don't know. it just seems like it's so anti there's no that need kind for of it. thing yeah if you just, don't like it if you're even if you hate it there's no need for for this 
If that makes I mean, at least, it, it's extra. And also it's what be we call educated extra. because Starfuckers Inc. does not sound like Marilyn Manson. Yeah, and watch the video where he. Well, like, it wasn't out yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think there's a lot of self reflection in Starfuckers and uh, even angst toward the self, and he's not picking up on that. Yeah. But if you watch the video, he smashes the bust of himself. So. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't consider this a real review. It's just pure, just a dude with a platform being an asshole. I mean, that's all it is. Yeah. And, you know, it's the internet age. Everyone has an opinion and everyone can publish it. And it but, was before, like, anyone policed anything on the internet and, like, anything goes. Like, if you look at certain old early pitchfork these dudes Didn't were straight they give up save ferris like one of their albums like a nine or something or it was insane anyway i don't know sorry. but what i was gonna say is these dudes were like straight up using slurs in their reviews uh i don't know how much they're trying to bury it now but like it's unacceptable shit and yeah whatever they've changed their ways they <laughs> so they came back to this album in 2017 when the yeah. fragile was released the definitive edition and gave it an 8.7 um i couldn't find the post because it's been taken down but i think someone posted on instagram like at the a screenshot of the two compared that mm -hmm. they put in a post and resner commented on <laughs> on the uh the post that this person made still cunts so <laughs> perfect yeah but whenever they re-reviewed it, they gave it an 8.7. Because um, it's not like revisiting stuff made them seem any better. You know, no. it's just, it just seemed, made them seem like they are well, just leaning whichever way the wind blows. And this is an actual review. Like it's, and they're also putting it in like historical context. But I mean, this reads like an actual review and it it's, it's just ridiculous that that review was published in my opinion. It was just them trying it to was get just attention. The, it was the era of anything can be published. Doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's an internet. Uh, it's, it's a website, not even a magazine. <laughs> Who cares? Yeah. Just anyway. So yeah, we need to cleanse our palates after that. Woo. Well, why don't we go ahead and talk about our feelings on the album? I'm going to start out with my album highlights. And okay. these are just tracks that are, Possibly my favorite, at least at this time, that changes. But my favorite tracks, and this is in no, no specific order. Mm -hmm. I just tossed them up here as I was listening to it again today. Uh, Somewhat damaged, La Mer and Into the Void. I put that down as one because I cheated. Mm. Yeah. Please, the okay. big come down and the day the world went away. And mm. I added the day the world went away because I think it sets such an appropriate mournful tone for this album. And then yeah. I put as maybe not the strongest track, The Fragile. I just don't think it's... Oh, wow. It's never been a favorite. When I'm listening to it, if there's a track I skip, it's usually that one. Oh, no. Yeah. Is that weird? This is. There's going to be some contention I know. here. Some People are going to hate there's me. There's going to be some contention. I would rather this. listen to We're In This Together a thousand times. I was re-listening to We're In This Together. You were blasting it. And I, I could was. hear you singing along, even. And you don't sing along to songs, usually. I was drunk. <laughs> Um, we're in this together deserves more credit. I wrote that down and like in our, in our single disc cuts episode, it didn't get a whole lot of, don't worry, we get to come back to it. It didn't get, yeah, we do. I'm, I will be glad to come back to it because I think it slaps. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make everyone's favorites lists, although it did make some people's single disc lists, which is cool. 
and you know whether it whether it's one of the best on the fragile i don't know and whether it fits in really well i don't know but it the fact that it's long form and meandering and has like a two minute instrumental outro i think makes it fit and i just think it's really good and coming right after the wretched maybe doesn't help it because that's like a rocker that everyone loves and then maybe wearing this together seems more like a cheesy pop love song mm-hmm. in comparison right after that. But on its own merits, I think it's awesome. Do you have any other highlights? Yeah, I do. Okay. Wait, did you finish your thing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I just want to say that it was, I like most of the songs on here a lot, a lot. So it's hard yeah, to do narrow too. it down. But when I was, cause you were like, and pick like your three or four least favorite songs. I couldn't pick three. Yeah. I could only pick one. I also had trouble with and that. And by least favorite, I don't mean it's bad. It's just, not my favorite. <laughs> well, I have different thoughts. But I I was thinking, let's pick a favorite song and a least favorite song on this album. And I realize I can't do that at all. I'm bad at picking favorite anything. Like, I don't have a favorite movie. <laughs> well, it's hard to be definitive. Because for me, it changes. You know? Yeah. And it would it would change from day to day. But I was going to do top five songs. But I made myself narrow it down to top three songs and if i had to pick today top three not in any order and this would probably change you know as my mood shifts Mm -hmm. but today my top three songs would be just like you imagined oscar agrees he said yes to that one Mm -hmm. or he doesn't like it um into the void that was on your yeah that Mm -hmm. was on your top but just like you imagined wasn't was it Mm -mm. And then the fragile. <laughs> so one of my tops is Jessica's bottom. You're just more romantic than me. It the pop structure of it, I've I've always loved. I it just it comes together so nicely. And it's so catchy. I don't know. There's so many things I love about it that I can't articulate very well. Um, I tried to make myself do a bottom three songs, mm-hmm. and. How'd that go? <laughs> well, not great. I came up with Underneath It All, which is what I've called a songlet, and I think it's cool. Um, no, there's nothing I straight up dislike. I, I can't point to any song and be like, I dislike that song. Well, like I said, I don't dislike The Fragile. Yeah, I, know, I just think I it's maybe not the strongest track on the album. I don't think it's the strongest track on the album either, but it is, it's strange. I just like the album so much that even the bad tracks are good. That, that, that type of thing. Um, Starfuckers made my bottom three. Even though that is a song I enjoy. But of course, there's the whole not fitting in to the album thing. And then I couldn't think of a third. I mean, I just couldn't. There's a lot of things that are that would be like tied on there. But they're songs I still like. You know, like at one point I was always like, oh, I could put Pilgrimage in the bottom. But there's so much about pilgrimage that I love, <laughs> but it's like not a, it didn't make my like single disc cuts is it's not essential to me, but yeah. And same with like, I'm looking forward to joining you. Finally, it's not a favorite. It's not maybe so essential, but in a way it, it wouldn't be the fragile without it. So yeah. it's hard to cut things out. Yeah. So I guess before I go on to give my rating out of nine nails. Oh, God. There's too much pressure. <laughs> um, I just want to talk about... Nine inches? 
You said nine. Oh na- shit! That's okay. We can say nine nails too. <laughs> nine inches. I'm sober as a person a can be, and I still can't talk. <laughs> it's no, it's embarrassing. Okay. I think when I was younger, I didn't appreciate this album as much as I should have. There were tracks I really liked immediately, but as a whole, I don't think I really. I wasn't like instantly smitten. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but as I've gotten older. And especially with our deep dive where I've listened to it a million times, mm-hmm. I've really come to appreciate it more than I did when it was first released. And I think a lot of that is just because of me gaining life experience myself and experiencing some of the emotions that Trent is singing about. Because I think of The Fragile as mainly a meditation on grief. Mm. And it's not just the loss of like someone through death, like his grandmother friendships were lost, you know, you grieve those friendships and relationships Mm -hmm. and a sense of himself was lost. And, um, anyway, I, I see this as an album about grieving. I think it's beautiful and, uh, I'm giving it, I'm rating this based on the CD format. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm giving it 18 inches. That's nine inches for each disc left and right. There you go. I think, I think that's perfect way to rate it (laughs) i wish i had i wish i had come up with that because i've just been sitting here like how the hell do i give this a inch rating out of nine it's the fragile it is it's it's like it's too important to just give a rating because it was it's basically my uh my adolescence and my uh the genesis of my being a musician and person who likes to make and listen to music then you know what? Why don't we just leave it unrated? Because it's too precious to rate for No, you. I was going to say 19, so it's one more than you. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that works. all that said, all that uh, gushy stuff said, uh, 19, because I want to one-up Jessica. So 19 mm-hmm. inches to her 18. <laughs> I think I gave the downward spiral a 13. Um, I don't remember what I gave it. It was ridiculous. Okay, but the, the scale, we've ignored the scale so much by this point that we'll get back to it because i i think these are the landmark albums like the the masterpieces yeah exactly tds and the fragile um not to say that you know the other albums aren't good they're yeah you know i've enjoyed them so much but it, it feels different going forward it feels different to me especially when you get past with teeth it feels very different yeah and we'll we'll talk about that when we get to it but uh, I want to hear listener uh, inch ratings. So get at us on social media. Tell us how many inches you'd give it. Just because I'm legit curious how someone else would use our ridiculous rating scale for this album. Yeah. We'll probably have a fragile era wrap up episode too, because I know there's a lot that we didn't yeah. talk about. We can't go on forever. It's a whole era because we had an intro to the era, mm-hmm. and so that means after we do the you know, and all that could have been live stuff, mm-hmm. and still, yeah, then we do a wrap up of the whole era. Yes, and so what I would like is this gives people plenty of time, but email us your experiences with this album. Yeah, are you talking about a coming nail bag? 
Well, it could be a nail bag. It doesn't have to be like I questions directed at us, but it could also just be uh, yeah. their interaction with this album, things like that. Because it yeah. is an important album, as Reznor said, his fans. Right. Obviously. It's usually the favorite amongst fans. So it's either this or the downward spiral, usually. Yeah. Um. So I just want to hear from people about their experiences with this album. And do you think Trent Reznor saved rock? Do you think this album was the end of the classic rock era? Do you are you Brent DiCrescenzo and would, would you re-review you this he, album? Where do you think he is now? I think he still writes. Would you would you pop him one in the mouth if I you might. if you could? I bet a guy who writes like that has a very punchable face. I'm not trying to be. He mean. can't be good looking. Like he can't be. Not to be mean, but there's no way. Well, he insulted Trent's look, which makes me think that he's, he's very insecure. jealous. Exactly. He's jealous. Uh, he wishes. Yeah, so nailedpod at gmail.com is where you send that listener mail. What else? Jeez. It's it's almost, this series is too big now uh, for me to know how to wrap up. Well, I guess so. we could wrap up by saying we're going to do Halo 15 next. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I I almost forgot about that. Asking you what the hell comes next. Yeah. Uh, so fifteen is we're in this together. Mm-hmm. So you get to single. revisit it and, and make your case for why we're in this together is underappreciated. Yeah. So we'll talk about that again. We'll talk about the tracks that are the B sides of all the many different CD mm-hmm. forms that comes in. Yep. I think complications of the flesh will be included in that, which is cool. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um. And a bonus will. We're probably going to be talking about music videos like Into the Void and Starfucker. Starfucker. So that'll be bonus material. And that's on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. So, Do we have any new patrons to shout out? Yes. Let me check. And by the way, that's patreon.com slash nailed pod. So shout out to new patrons. Thank you. Um, we have someone. Oh, my God. Someone 58 minutes ago. This is unprecedented. What? Since we started recording, there's a new patron. Nice. Um, and that patron's name is Jess. What? Another Jess. Welcome, Jess. Hi, Jess. Fellow Jess. Okay. Shout out to Mike. Also, thank you, Peter. Thank you, Emily. And thank you, Alex. If you want to be like them patreon.com slash nailed pod all the bonus episodes monthly merch giveaways our discord community access it's always popping off or you in can there. just talk about how much you love trent all day <laughs> that's right <laughs> among other topics you get to join the instagram close friends green circle club and if you're at the 20 dollars level do you get something the great destroyer level yeah at the $20 level, you get, uh, yeah, The Great Destroyer. You can submit a listener, a patron pick. You can choose a topic of a bonus episode. We've done a few of those. Uh, they're in the, the bonus feed. We usually did those between um, yeah, between eras. So we're going to do some <laughs> more of those submitted by patrons uh, after The Fragile. Oh, and all patrons get discounts on in our merch store. We do have merch, so and you can find that nailedpod.com, mm-hmm. link to our merch store and all of our other stuff. And if you have a Switch and play Mario Kart, send us your... 
<laughs> send us your friend code and uh, you can play some awesome yeah. epic switch uh, Mario Kart battles with us. We like to game uh, up in the Discord. We even have a gamer chat. So I only play Mario Kart and Animal Crossing, so I'm a total gaming poser. But We've done a few others. Thank you for giving us Apple Music reviews. And if you haven't, please rate us in your podcast app and on Apple you can give us a review mm-hmm. and thanks as always to Tyler Snell who does our art and to Christopher G. Brown our intern who helps with research is there anyone I'm missing? thank you to Oscar even though you were very rude this episode you are very cute so mm. mm-hmm. and thank you as always to everyone who listens and to patrons for supporting and making it possible yes thank you Okay, we'll be back with Halo 15, and in the week between that, a bonus? Yep. I'm not sure what it will be yet. Probably a video. (laughs) So thanks for listening, everybody. That was Halo 14, and didn't that make you feel better? Did it end the classic rock era?